0: Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast.
1: So McConnell doesn't have the votes, eh? He doesn't have the votes to uh, to stop any witnesses. Doesn't have the votes. That was a big news that, uh, that broke late yesterday afternoon. Everybody ran with it. When what McConnell said, he didn't have the votes yet. And, of course, Senator McConnell is very sly, very crafty. And I think it's... Um, Maybe a bit of misdirection. Time will tell. Great to have you with us, folks. As here we are yet again for another three hours of broadcast excellence. Here I am behind the golden EIB microphone. Great to be with you. Rush Limbaugh at 800 282 The email address, lrushbaugh at eibnet.us. And, of course, there continues to be this mad dash quasi-panic. About whether or not John Bolton should be called to testify. Here's the one of the ways of looking at this, and there are many, is that no matter what happens here, at some point the president is going to be acquitted. There just aren't going to be the votes to convict the president. That that is not going to happen. And so anything that happens between now and then, you have to ask what's the purpose? I mean, does everybody, all these senators want to prolong this for what could be months when they have a full awareness of what the outcome is going to be? And, of course, the answer for the Democrats is dirty up the acquittal, uh, is what I said yesterday. Make it it seem uber-partisan, make it seem unfair, make it seem purely political and not based on the evidence. That's what they are attempting to do. And, of course, this ought to be perceived by the president's team. They ought to understand what's going on here. But there, there is this, you know, even on our side, there are all these different competing theories and explanations and philosophies being uh, explained as to why it'd be okay to let Bolton come in here. Go ahead, let Bolton come in and testify. You can limit the scope of his testimony. You depose him first. One theory is you depose him. You let the Senate Judiciary Committee... Wait, the Senate, hell, whichever Senate committee is involved in this, let them depose him for four hours. And then the theory is stipulate. The president's team stipulate what he's going to say. In other words, stipulate that what Bolton said to the president is true. And by stipulating it, you eliminate the need for Bolton to testify. You limit. The scope of Bolton's testimony to stipulating the point. This happens in court constantly. So you let Bolton's deposition take place, allow four hours for it, then you stipulate to it, and then there's no need to call him because you've agreed the Democrats will raise holy hell because that's not what they want Bolton in there for. They want Bolton to start asking, they want to be able to ask him all kinds of open-ended questions about Trump's personality and Trump's habits and the things that he saw and this, of course, is the uh, one of the primary reasons to keep him out of there as, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, as I said yesterday toward the end of the program, it's frustrating because we've got so many people here caught up in the process of this and wanting to be involved in it in uh, either direct or ancillary ways because it's historic. It's going to be in all the history books for the rest of time. And a lot of people want to have their names attached to it either agreeing or disagreeing with the procedures that were taken with the legal teams and how they did it. Uh, And so it it provides uh, an opportunity for fame. It provides an opportunity for uh, being noticed. It provides an opportunity for uh, job offers down the road from other, like, law firms or legal concerns and so forth. There's a lot of people with a lot of interest in this that, couldn't care less what the outcome is. Now, as for me, I mean this. This is no more complicated today than it was when it began. It's bogus, and needs to be shut down and ended as quickly as possible. In fact, we've got the most incredible soundbite here. I gotta find it. That was earlier. It's from Danang Dick. Danang Dick. Yeah, grab audio soundbite number five. This is Richard Blumenthal. He is that senator from uh, Connecticut who lied about the fact that he served with honor and valor in Vietnam when he was never there. And, of course, the guy gets elected to the Senate from Connecticut. And that never does fall back on him. But the guy lied through his teeth about something as crucial as military service. Heroic, valorous military. It was all made up. And yet there he is as a credible Democrat in the U.S. Senate, because people in Connecticut elected him. So, yesterday on Capitol Hill, he was speaking to reporters about the impeachment trial and said this. What you just saw was a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. We need the evidence. We need the witnesses and documents. The guy just admitted... That everything they've seen heretofore presented by the House managers had no evidence in it. He just admitted it. What you just saw was a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. So what the hell is it doing there then? A fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. We need the evidence. We need the witnesses. We need the documents. Maybe there aren't any. Maybe there aren't any witnesses. Maybe there aren't any documents. If the House of Representatives and their managers didn't find any, if they just presented a case bereft of evidence, why go on? See, this is what frustrates people like you and me about Washington. This is a slam dunk. The guy's admitted there's no evidence yet that's been presented in however long this thing is going on or has gone. So you and I filled with common sense. what well, but why is it happening? Why doesn't some adult stand up and shut it down? What possible? Can you imagine any trial where the prosecution finishes? And one of the prosecution lawyers stands up. Well, one of the supportive member of the jury stands up. You know what? So far, we haven't heard any evidence. The defense needs to put on some evidence here. The defense needs to go out and find some evidence for us. This is absolutely insane. And then I, I, I balance that. I mean, that's exactly as I think it's happened. They don't have any evidence. The House managers, zilch, zero, nada. There hasn't been an impeachable offense Trump committed that anybody can identify. There wasn't any collusion between Trump and Russia. The Kavanaugh stuff was a bunch of lies and made up. There isn't anything in the past three years in terms of any allegation Or charge that Democrats in the media have made that have any facts. There is nothing to them. There is not a shred. And so that's why we need to continue. This is as bogus as a... You remember this? There was something that was given birth during the Clarence Thomas-Anita Hill fiasco. And Anita Hill comes forward and makes her charge that Clarence Thomas abused her, put a pubic hair on a Coke can or some such thing. There was no evidence. He said, she said, there was never any evidence. And what was the Democrat response? Democrat, well, uh, nature of the evidence is not what's important here, the seriousness of the charge. Well, what, what does the charge matter if there's any evidence? Tom Foley was Speaker of the House, For the Democrats back in 1990, when some idiot professor at Columbia published a book claiming that George H.W. Bush flew to Paris in an H.R. 71, the Blackbird spy plane, to meet with the Iranians to arrange the deal that they would keep the hostages until Reagan was elected and let them go. There was no evidence. Never any evidence. Bush wasn't there. Foley said, the seriousness of the charge mandates that we conduct an investigation. So here's Don Engdick admitting that he's just watched a summation that is fact-free. He has watched the House managers essentially... Do a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. We need the evidence. Therefore, we need the defense to stipulate to calling more witnesses because we on the prosecution side haven't found anything. And I wonder why more people on our side are not reacting as I am or as you probably are. To this revelation, but we all know why. It's a historical process taking place, Mister Limbaugh, and it's very, very important that we batten down all the hatches and cross all the t's and down all the i's and make sure that at the end of this, there's no doubt that President is innocent, there's no doubt that this was bogus. They call as many witnesses. I, uh, Democrats don't run the Senate, and why they think they, they didn't, they don't, they don't have the majority. Why they get to run this place? Uh, is another gigantic, frustrating thing. Somebody tell me where I'm wrong. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe I'm not seeing this. Maybe I'm not understanding what Don Ang Dick is saying. Play Don Ang Dick again. Uh, audio sound by number five, three, two. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. What you just saw was a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. We need the evidence. We need the witnesses and documents. Yeah, I heard it right. The prosecution hasn't come up with the evidence because there isn't any. The prosecution hasn't come up with any documents because there aren't any, and be precisely because Schiff and his shiftless crew have failed. Somehow, it's up to the president's lawyers to say, "Okay, you want more witnesses? Uh, call, call witness. You want more documents? Here's some more documents." Let's go back uh, one soundbite previous. Chuck, you Schumer. This morning uh, on Capitol Hill, still begging for four turncoat Republicans.
0: I remain hopeful that four Republican senators will join us in supporting witnesses
2: and documents in this trial. It's an uphill fight, as I've always said, but the public is on our side and truth, above all, is on our side.
1: The public is not on your side. You know, I saw there's there's a poll 75% of the American people want witnesses. You know how bogus that is? There isn't an American citizen who thinks a trial doesn't need witnesses. This is such a, it's a set-up question. You go out to John Q. Public, there's a trial going on in the United States Senate. Do you think there should be witnesses in this? Hell yes, there ought to be witnesses in every trial. 75% say witnesses against Trump is what this poll result means. It's not what it means at all. The American public's not in favor of this. Have you seen the Trump rally last? Did you see any part of the Trump rally? Did you see 100,000 people outside the event last night in 30-degree weather in New Jersey? Joe Biden cannot fill a Starbucks. Joe Biden can't fill a coffee shop. It is astounding even though they knew they could not get in. They waited outside. They wanted to be seen. They wanted the cameras to catch them so that their show of support could be documented. Meanwhile, in the Senate trial of Donald Trump, half of the spectator seats were empty during this massively so historically important event half the seats were empty when the house managers the democrats presented their case i'll tell you the the contrast here of swamp washington and the rest of the world even new jersey is jarring now there was a special election in texas yesterday i purposely didn't talk about this you know why i purposely didn't talk about it because i'm a powerful and influential member of the media and if I had weighed in on this and had it turned out the way I had wanted it to, then perhaps some in the media would say the result is artificial because Limbaugh was out advocating that people vote us there, So I backed away. I didn't talk about this special election at all, except maybe some, some weeks ago just to mention that it was coming up because I knew what was going to happen. The conventional wisdom was, and you can see the headline on Drudge for the past week, first bellwether election 2020. Is Trump finished or not? First bellwether election. Will Democrats take Texas? Will Democrats convert Texas to blue state? Blah, blah, blah. It was all over the place. Well, here's the... Bottom line, Texas House District 28 special election offered a first test of the theory that Texas may be trending blue, i.e., Democrat. In the age of Trump, a suburban district west of Houston offered Democrats an opportunity to grab a seat and the narrative just days before the 2020 election. H.D. 28, is a red district in a county, Fort Bend, Texas, that has been trending blue. Hillary Clinton won it over Trump in 2016. A Republican incumbent, John Zerwas, won H.D. 28 plus 9 in 2018. He decided not to seek another term. That left the seat open. The Democrats pulled no punches to try to take it. Ready for this? Focahontas endorsed the Democrat. Former Vice President Joe Me endorsed the Democrat. Julian Castro campaigned for the Democrat. Mike Doomberg bumbled his way into town, knocked on the wrong doors. Beto O'Rourke practically lived in the district for the last few weeks. Showing up everywhere, giving speeches for the Democrat candidate, Dr. Elise Markowitz. And if one were to go by Twitter, the Democrats were going to win this 90 to 10, which is the big mistake the Democrats continue to make. Looking at Twitter and thinking that it is a reflection of nationwide public opinion. Well, after early voting, Republican Gary Gates sprinted to the lead, going away 59 to 41 percent over the Democrat that lead early voting was strong. It held up as the count wore on. He finished the night winning fifty-eight to forty-two. Fifth, it was a landslide blowout. Thirty thousand votes were cast. You may say, "Rush, oh, that's not thirty thousand. That's not a good... That's a new record for a Texas House." special election by about 9,000 votes. And by the way, both parties knew the stakes. The Democrats were convinced. The media was convinced Trump was going down. This seat was going to go blue. The Democrats were going to take it. Democrat groups, packed money poured in by the hundreds of thousands. Gates overcame an enormous Democrat effort to steal a seat. They were going to take this seat that was going to be the beginning of turning Texas blue but they got blown out 5942 landslide 5842 So you know what the you know what the impeachment fights really all about The Democrats do not want voters meddling in the 2020 election. They don't they do not want you having anything to say about the election. They think that the election will be rigged if you vote. Only if they prevent voting, well, if they take Trump off the ballot, that's the only way the election can be fair. Because otherwise, you will meddle. You will meddle in the election, you'll re-elect Trump. And that cannot be permitted. So 58 to 42% blowout with a record number of votes cast in Texas in a special House election. I can't emphasize enough how much the media, and the Democrat Party thought this race was going to go the other way. They thought they had a dry, dull Republican candidate, very excitable, exciting uh, young Democrat female candidate. It was made to order, country hates Trump. Trump Trump is just despised, and the American people, it's right there, 90 to 10 on Twitter, hate Trump, they want him gone. They thought it was just a matter of conducting the election For all kinds of money, the biggest guns of the Democrat Party going in, endorsing, giving speeches, 58 to 42 percent blowout. And Trump's own numbers are surging against 2020 Democrats during this entire impeachment fiasco. That and much more coming right after this break. Hi, welcome back. It's great to have you with us, my friends. It's Rush Limbaugh, the EIB network, where I utilize talent on loan from God at all times. I'm unable not to. Phone number is 800-282-2882. Since the impeachment and Ukraine stuff got going here, in October... You realize how long this had been going on? The House managers, well, the the, the House uh, Intelligence Committee, not judiciary, Schiff in his underground basement room where he called 17, called 18 witnesses. Schiff called 18 witnesses, not 17. We just haven't seen anything released from the 18th witness. The 18th witness is whistleblower. Schiff called 17 witnesses. Depositions and so forth, Republicans, zero. Zero witnesses in Schiff's underground skiff where he was conducting these depositions and interviews and orchestrating public testimony based on what these people said during their depositions. Not one Republican witness was called. So Schiff presents his case all the way since October, and now the Senate said, well, we just saw Summation here, bereft of evidence. We don't have, we have no, nothing fact based in this present We need witnesses. Well, Schiff had all the witnesses, and they don't have any facts. It's been going on since October. In an ABC News Washington Post poll, Trump is surged by double digits in head to head matchups against his competitors. Against the four most likely winners of the 2020 Democrat presidential primary. In October, Trump was down 56 to 39 against plugs. As of now, the gap is closed 13 points. Trump is down four points to plugs, 50 to 46. That's within the margin of error in this poll. Against Crazy Bernie, Trump was down 14 points in October. That gap is closed by 12 to just a two-point lead for Crazy Bernie. The point that you might, well, Russ, these guys are still beating. Yeah, but that doesn't matter, folks, because who's, like I said to a caller yesterday, you're not going to remember, you can't remember the polling data on this very day, January 29th, 2016. You can't tell me what it was. Doesn't matter what it was then. What matters here is in the midst of impeachment. Since October, in polling data conducted by the drive-by media, Trump is wiping out the leads that these four Democrat potential nominees had over him. He is gaining ground during the impeachment, not losing ground. It is backfiring on them. It will continue to. Uh, Elizabeth Warren was ahead of Trump by 15 points. Since uh, impeachment began, she has lost every bit of that lead. Trump has wiped out her 15 point margin over him. They're now tied at 48. Even Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Back in October, Mayor Pete led Trump by 11, 52 to 11, 52 to 41. As of now, Buttigieg has not only lost all of that lead, Trump Now leads in by three. So it's been a 14-point swing against Mayor Pete. So Trump is storming back. The support for the president in these drive-by polls is just screeching. I mean, it is ramping up fast while this impeachment is taking place. So yesterday, toward the end of the day, last night around 6 p.m., Somehow the news leaked that Mitch McConnell said that he does not have the votes, as of now, to prevent witnesses. It was right there on the Drudge Report, and every drive-by news outlet ran with it. But in truth, nothing had changed. All that the turtle had said was he didn't have the votes yet. The uh, the potential, of prospective Jeff Flakes... They all want to decide at the last minute to garner maximum attention for these Republicans, and they know the attention is on them. And they know everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to be paying extra careful attention. They're going to milk it for all they can. We put together a montage of the drive-by media breathlessly anticipating the possibility that McConnell has lost control of the Senate.
0: Breaking news, Senator Mitch McConnell telling Republicans he doesn't have the votes to stop witnesses from testifying. He does not have the votes right now to block witnesses. He does not have the votes to block witnesses. There are not four Republican votes. He does not have the votes to block the calling of witnesses. McConnell told
3: his GOP colleagues that they do not have the votes.
1: Mitch McConnell saying he doesn't have the votes. He doesn't have the votes. Confirmed he does not have the votes. He does not have the votes to block impeachment witnesses. They don't have the votes. They are so excited. McConnell doesn't have the votes. And uh, that means that four Republicans are turning tail, turning turncoat on Trump. And it's all because of the Bolton leak. Well, since Bolton said what he said, it reputedly. By the way, you know where Bolton is? At this very moment, you know where Bolton is? I need to double check this. I got to note that Bolton is in Qatar. Qatar, for those of you who. Q A T A R. What's Bolton doing in Qatar? I mean, why isn't he standing by? nearby the Capitol, ready to respond to the demand, the request that he show up and give a deposition. Well, I'm joking. I mean, that won't happen for days if it happens at all. But still, he's um, he's in Cutter, which I don't know. I, I find it somewhat interesting. I, folks, I, I, I know McConnell a little bit. I've talked to him frequently, but studied him enough. And I think that He's he's one of these consummate Senate guys, consummate some people. He's a consummate consummate Senate guy. He knows it backwards and forwards. He loves it. And he is uh, expert at keeping his herd together. And I don't think that he does. I don't think he's lost this vote yet. I think saying this is designed to create exactly what's happened. A bunch of Democrats jumping out early, a bunch of media people thinking the issue has been won. It's over. McConnell has lost control because they live in this alternative universe anyway. And I don't, I don't think that, that, that we're anywhere near the day where this final assessment could be made. There's David Axelrod last night, also on CNN, about the possibility of witnesses in the impeachment
0: trial. I think there's going to be an enormous amount of pressure on those who, are, who have not committed to voting against witnesses in the next 72 hours. And it's going to become a loyalty test for them with the president. Okay, so...
1: Drudge puts it out there that McConnell's lost the Senate. He's lost the Republican caucus. The Republican caucus has told McConnell to go pound sand. The Republicans want witnesses because the Republicans hate Trump. And the Republicans can't wait to vote to get witnesses in there so they can make Trump look bad because this is what the media and the Democrats desperately hope will happen. But after a night to ponder this, This morning on CNN, special coverage, they call it. The co-anchor Wolf Blitzer speaking with the co-anchor Jake Tapper about this.
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, Jake, that uh, probably at least two, maybe three Republicans will go ahead and vote for witnesses. But they've got to get to four. And Lamar Alexander, you know, I I suspect he's going to go along in the end with his old friend Mitch McConnell. There is a... a, a Look, we know this. Tribalism, party affiliation, partisan politics are very strong in this city. Really? People vote against things that they feel because they need to stay loyal to the party. Really? So there is a degree of self-preservation yeah. in this decision really? do i want republicans at the country club my friends to think that i'm disloyal to look at me the way that a lot of republicans look at jeff flake
1: do i want my republican friends at the country club to think i'm disloyal to look at me the way that a lot of republicans look at jeff flake it's not that the just the way that a lot of people look at jeff flake it's when you look at him you can't find him the guy lost his senate seat He wasn't going to win his primary to be reelected. Yeah, I made this big deal, big moral stand, anti-Trump. Where is it? You can look at Jeff Flake all day. You can't find him. Your best bet of finding Jeff Flake is to find Chris Coons and find out where the Democrats are hiding out. I do the Democrats aren't members of clubs. (laughs) <laughs> Bottom line, these two guys very, very aware that this may be very premature. And at the end of the day, McConnell holds the cards for a whole bunch of legitimate political reasons. There's one thing else that these guys are not considering. You have seen the story, perhaps, that Diane Feinstein is leaning toward acquittal. It was a story in the Los Angeles Times. And they are they reported that because Diane Feinstein said, "You know what this is all happening it's so close to the election i i'm I I just I think maybe just the election's the way to handle it and they glommed on that said she may be voting for acquittal, so she had to issue a statement. no no, 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 I have been misunderstood. I am not thinking about voting for acquittal, but i'll bet you damn well she is, but she 's not alone. Well, all of these so called phantom Jeff Flake Republicans." How about the fact that there are three potential Democrats who will vote against witnesses and who will join the vote to acquit Kristen Sinema in Arizona, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, and there's one other. There are three Democrats that may not vote for witnesses. There are three. There's, there's a bunch of these senators in there that want this over. They just discovered that there's no evidence that's been presented. There aren't any facts. Grab soundbite number four yet again. I want you to Chuck Hugh Schumer this morning. This is after last night's slam dunk, which was that McConnell's lost the caucus. McConnell has lost the Republicans. He cannot guarantee the vote against witnesses will win. So why did Schumer say
0: this? I remain hopeful. That four Republican senators will
2: join us in supporting witnesses and documents in this trial. It's an uphill fight, as I've always said, but the public is on our side and truth, above all, is on our
1: side. The public is not on your side if you're gauging it by Twitter, but why, why the continued caterwauling and searching and hoping and requesting for four Republican Jeff Flakes to step forward if it's already happened? Now, a brief timeout. We'll come back, and uh, we'll get started on the phones right after this, folks. Thanks. Hang on. Joe Manchin. Uh, de- by the way, the other Democrat that might be voting to acquit and for no witnesses is Doug Jones of Alabama. He's in, going to be Kristen Sinema, Arizona. Manchin of West Virginia, Doug Jones. Manchin's out there saying, you know what? I I, I think it might be interesting to hear from Hunter Biden. Ha! <laughs> Not John Bolton. I think it'd be great to hear from Hunter Biden. More on that, by the way. That ABC story that I went back and revisited yesterday from uh, May 2019 that I thought was the first step in the media and the Democrats deciding to take Biden out. The timing of that report has taken on additional significance. Now, I want to pass away. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Uh, with Manchin signaling that Hunter Biden might be fascinating to talk to, not saying that Joe, Biden, uh, Joe John Bolton would be. I mean, I... I don't know these guys. I'm not in their heads. But that's the kind of thing you float if you're a democrat. Yeah, I want to talk to Hunter Biden. That's who I really want to hear from. Democrats do not want Hunter Biden called as a witness. They don't want him calling the calling a witness and claiming the 5th. They don't want plugs called. They don't want to go there. They've tried to stonewall it already. They said there's no reason to call the Bidens and the Bidens have got nothing to do. The Bidens are everything to do with this. The Bidens are exactly why all this is happening. They should have been legitimately investigated because they were legitimately engaged in corruption. Well, I say not legit. They were illegitimately engaged in it, but they were in it, and it needs to be uncovered and exposed. Now, Pierre Delicto in a private lunch with fellow Senate Republicans on Monday, reportedly made a strong pitch for calling additional witnesses, this according to Politico. According to Pierre Delicto, the claims in Bolton's book have made it increasingly likely that his fellow Republicans will call Bolton to testify. Now, despite his public optimism about winning the witness argument, the Politico says these three moderate senators' appeals seem to be going nowhere. So, again, these are more stories contradicting the thing that hit last night, claiming that McConnell has lost control. McConnell can't guarantee he's got the votes to defeat witnesses. Yet everywhere you look, here's the next headline. From the Hill.com, Republicans signal renewed confidence they'll avoid witness fight. Republicans emerge from a closed-door caucus lunch they had a Pierre Delicto attended. And they expressed renewed confidence they would win the vote on more witnesses. John Barrasso, Wyoming, even told reporters that uh, Republican senators had heard enough. Time to go to final judgment. So there's a setup somewhere that is that is happening here. Let me get a phone call in as promised. It's Denver and Samantha. Great to have you, Samantha. Thank you for waiting. Hi.
3: Hi, Rush. Such a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah,
1: great to have you here, too.
3: My question is, um, I know that you and, and others have made the argument that getting through this trial as quickly as possible is beneficial. We don't want to drag it out any more than the Democrats have dragged it out. Um, you know, it could be potentially damaging to, um, you know, voter turnout and, and whatnot. But my question is. No,
1: that's um, not that's not I don't think that's no, not why. But go, I don't want to stop you. Go ahead. I'll, I'll explain yeah, later. Sorry,
3: that's, that's kind of a separate thought. But my question is. Um, We have this unique opportunity that Democrats have pretty much pushed themselves into to put people on the stand under oath and really start exposing um, the corruption that's there. Do you feel that that, you know, that's enough of a benefit to, you know, really kind of dig into this trial and and use it for that purpose?
1: Well, you know, I I, I thought I had an additional minute. I misjudged the clock here, so I'm going to have to answer you after we conclude the, the call, it's, it's, it's possible, and I know the Democrats don't want that, which is what makes it uh, intriguing to you. The same potential opportunity exists in the next phase of this, which is questions. The senators get to ask questions of both uh, the House managers and the president's uh, lawyers. And that is maybe a way to treat Schiff as a witness, even though you don't call him as a witness. But let me expand on this when I have a little bit more time. Samantha, thank you very much. It's a great point, And I'll address it when we get back. Look, very quickly, this is the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. That's no matter what happens at it, that's what it is. It needs to end with the acquittal ASAP. The purpose of this is not to investigate Democrats. Nobody's watching this anyway. Greetings, my friends. Welcome back. Great to have you. This is the one and only EIB Network. I am Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light to times of trouble, commotion, turkey, uh, tumult, chaos, lying, distortions. Attempts to dispirit and depress you, I'm here, and including during the good times as well. Guiding the way. 800-282-2882. If you want to be on the program, the email address rushbo at eibnet.us. Okay, during the break here at the top of the hour, one of the things that uh, uh, I picked up on, and this is a good point. I want to go back to our previous call. Previous caller said, look, Rush, I know that you want this over, you want the acquittal to be done with it, but wouldn't witnesses be a golden opportunity to bring in all of these corrupt Democrats, plugs Biden and his kid Hunter, and just blow them up and and just let everybody know what's going on? I don't think that would happen, but here's, even if it did, I don't. I'm I'm not in favor of this prolonging itself because we know what the end of this is. The end of this is an acquittal. To my mind, there is no reason to prolong this. The purpose, this is the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. This is not Senate hearings into the corruption of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And to try to turn it into that, uh, I, I, I just think that's. I think it's stay focused on what this is, get the acquittal, and then if you're hell bent, do Senate hearings on Biden. Nothing stopping the Republicans, they run it. Do Senate hearings on Hunter Biden, Senate hearings on the corruption in Ukraine, perfectly within their purview to do it. The longer this goes on, the continuing opportunity that the media and the Democrats have to dirty up the acquittal. They know there's going to be an acquittal. There isn't any other outcome here that is remotely possible. I mean, you've got maybe one-tenth of one percent. But it would take far more than is known. Now, as we've we've had indicated, even the Democrats realize no evidence has been presented yet. Don Ang, Dick Blumenthal, Connecticut, no evidence. We just sat through a presentation bereft of facts and evidence. See, so here's, here's the thing. They want Bolton and they want a whole bunch of other people. They want witnesses that the House didn't call, by definition. Now, do the do the United States senators really want to permit a precedent to be set for future impeachments where the Senate will call witnesses that a House team of managers does not present and does not call and does not work with themselves that would that to me is something that somebody like Mitch McConnell who loves and adores the Senate he's not going to sit there and permit this this is not at all what is into the house doesn't get a do over when they don't have a case The House doesn't get to show up and present a a, a fact-free case with no evidence. Then demand the Senate go out and call additional witnesses that the House didn't call. Sorry, folks. No way. I can't support that. I don't care what the end result of it would be. And what happens if Hunter Biden comes in and takes the Fifth Amendment, pleads the Fifth? You don't hear from him anyway. All you get to do is presume he's guilty. But the whole point of exposing the corruption, him and his dad, I mean, I, I, I understand the desire to see that. Don't misunderstand. But we know what the end result is going to be. And as far as I'm concerned, the objective is to get there. The president is going to be acquitted. There isn't an impeachable offense that has been presented. There is no evidence of an impeachable offense that has been presented. There is no evidence of misconduct. There's no evidence of a president abusing his power. There's no evidence of a president covering up or obstructing anything. There's no evidence even that Ukraine didn't get its aid when it did. There's nothing here. And so allowing this thing to go on and on and on for the purposes of dirtying up the acquittal. I mean, were we, were we in favor of the Kavanaugh hearings continuing so we could dirty up Balsy Ford? We wanted that over with. We knew what was happening there. It was a trick. It was aimed at sullying and dirtying up Kavanaugh so that his time on the Supreme Court would be subject to disrespect and disrepute. What they were really trying to do was get Trump to withdraw the nomination. Why should we allow this thing to go on interminably when what this is is meddling in the 2020 election? This is how I see it. But this whole notion that somehow the Senate must allow witnesses that have not been part of the case up to now, that somehow the Senate must allow the admittance of documents that have not been part of the case up till now? That just doesn't fly. There's no way it should. And I realize that the Senate trial is not the same as a courtroom trial by definition, but still, the nature of precedence is such that this is, we're already way out of bounds of what an impeachment trial is supposed to be. Now, what's coming next? Senator questions for the legal teams. Now, the way this works, kind of like the way I used to do it during the Rush to Excellence tour, I would take questions from the audience. Sometimes. I didn't do it all the time because you never know if they're going to be any good. What you do is you ask the audience, what I did, ask the audience, submit their questions in writing. We'd give them cards as they filed into the ten to 15,000 seat arena. They would fill out the questions on the cards and would pass them to people who then, while I was doing the show, would go through the cards and try to pick some of the best questions. And at the end, they'd bring the cards to me on stage. I'd go through them, and that's how I would choose to answer questions. And it, it's it's a losing proposition if you do it by handing a microphone to the audience and they start asking, you, you, you lose control of it, you never know what people are going to say. Well, the same thing's possible here in the Senate. So the same thing happens. The senators that are going to ask questions of both legal teams. They get to ask questions of Schiff and the House managers, and they get to ask questions of the president's lawyers. But they submit them in writing. Those questions then go to the chief justice, John Roberts. And the chief justice determines the questions that are asked. So if Republican senators want to pretend that Schiff is a witness, if they would, you know, they can ask him questions as though he were a witness. But it's going to be up to the chief justice to permit that question or those questions. But more importantly, there is no follow up. And each answer has a scheduled maximum time limit of five minutes. So whoever is answering the question cannot go off on a filibuster. The Chief Justice can shut it down after five minutes. And whatever the answer is, that's it. There is no follow-up. Nobody gets a follow-up. So it probably isn't going to be loaded with fireworks like everybody thinks. But there are 16 hours allotted for this. Eight hours for Democrats to ask questions of the president's lawyers and eight hours for the Republicans or anybody to ask questions of the Democrat House managers. Now, that's 16 hours. That's that's two eight hour days. The so, theory is uh, Wednesday to be over by Friday. Technically, if you get to the end of this week and have the vote on witnesses, it could be over. I still think this is going to be over this weekend because of the Hawkeye Hawkeye. But I could be wrong about that because Crazy Bernie is surging in Iowa, and Crazy Bernie may not want anybody to be able to get out of there, and go campaign in Iowa. There's also talk that this yin yang guy, the guy who thinks we need to move people to higher ground now because of climate change, that uh, he knows he's toast, and he's thinking about throwing his yangers, his uh, his supporters, with Crazy Crazy Bernie. Now, the Democrat Party is panicking over the crazy Bernie surge. Uh, supposedly. Supposedly, the powers that be, Democrat National Committee, supposed people who run the party, do not want crazy Bernie getting the nomination. They're going to do anything they can to stop him. Plugs is coming. Do you hear what Plugs said? Plugs, well... Plugs said, yeah, I'd love to have Michelle Obama as my vice presidential running. <laughs> Michelle Obama not going to be anybody's second fiddle, Plugs. He'd love to have Michelle Obama as his vice presidential running. But let, let me share with you some headlines here. Lawyer says Parnas cannot attend Senate trial due to ankle bracelet. So who cares? Who cares if Lev Parnas can attend the trial or not? Chuck Schumer says there will be no bargaining in exchange for Hunter Biden testimony. Who is Chuck Schumer to say what the Senate's going to do? Chuck Schumer does not run the Senate. Mitch McConnell. Chuck Schumer says no bargaining in exchange for Hunter Biden testimony. Chuck Schumer rejects proposal to subpoena Bolton Manuscript for impeachment trial. Schumer rejects? Chuck Schumer has rejected a proposal by Republican senators to subpoena the manuscript of Bolton, insisting that Bolton has to appear in person. The manuscript isn't enough. Meanwhile, Adam Pencilneck Schiff was on PMSNBC yesterday, and he said, Well, no wonder Bolton didn't want to come testify. He's got this book out there. We didn't know that. Would have loved for Bolton to come testify during our impeachment investigation, but he refused, adding that it's pretty clear now why he wouldn't testify. He had a book that was being vetted. Wait a minute. Bolton refused? I thought Bolton wanted to testify. Somebody help me out here. I I thought the narrative was that Bolton wanted to testify. That's what it basically. Bolton, he's eager to testify. And now Schiff is saying he didn't want to testify. He refused. He refused to testify during the House, you know, the hearings that Schiff was conducting in the, in the basement. Now, there has been fallout, ladies and gentlemen, from yesterday's audio and videotape of what happened on CNN. Rick Wilson the Republican consultant – you know, I, I guess I'm wrong. I thought this guy worked for McCain or some McCain-like Republican. Apparently, the last Republican he worked for was Giuliani in, uh, in 2000, best anybody can determine. Anyway, Rick Wilson, and he was the guy making fun of Trump voters – on CNN Saturday night, along with a New York Times reporter and Don Lemon of CNN, who was laughing hysterically and uncontrollably. There has been a tremendous amount of fallout. We'll get to that after a brief break. Hang on. We're coming back before you know it. By the way, folks, there's something else that uh, I want to get into today. This is such a teachable moment. It is a very, very, it's an abject lesson. In media and responsibility. And it has to do with Apple. So I'm going to probably not get to it till the next hour, depending on how things go in the remaining uh, time in this hour. But Apple yesterday reported record earnings and record profit and a record profit margin. The history of the company. Their guidance... To investors, expected total revenue between eighty-four and eighty-nine billion dollars for the fourth calendar quarter, uh, October, November, December of last year. That's Apple's first. That's the the, the first quarter in their fiscal uh, calendar. They, they they count calendar four as their first quarter of the year. They reported ninety-one billion dollars in earnings and $22 billion in profits. Now, the purpose for me mentioning this is not to hail Apple. You all know that I love Apple products. And you all know that it's kind of strange because Apple is a gigantic left-wing company it probably doesn't like me. But I still, I don't care. I love the stuff. I love their products. I marvel at them. Try to learn everything I can about them. But, but you also know from me that the tech media hates them. The tech media hates Apple like the drive-by media hates Trump and hates Republicans. In addition to the tech media hating Apple, there are, of course, Wall Street investment and analyst places. Like, uh, well, take your pick. I mean, there's, there's Goldman Sachs. There's uh, Take your pick of any of these people that, that, that go out and advise investors where to put their money. Well, there have been a couple. There's actually more than a couple. There's three or four of these different places that literally hate Apple who have been predicting doom and gloom for Apple for five years have been urging people to take their money out of Apple, have been urging people don't put your money in Apple. It has been the epitome of irresponsibility. It has been the equivalent of these people personally hating Apple for whatever reason and trying to damage Apple by getting investors to take their money out or not put it in. It's been the epitome of irresponsibility. This is, We're talking about people's money. These are the So-called advisors, the analysts, the experts telling unsuspecting investors where to put their money, where not to put it. And the story is what happened yesterday after these earnings came out, after the earnings were reported. It is an abject lesson in what ought to be happening right now throughout the drive-by media, from the New York Times to the Washington Post to CNN. To MSNBC and to virtually every media outlet who has been lying, spreading lies, originating lies, creating lies, perpetuating known lies from full sources, literally making things up for the past three to four years. There has yet to be a price paid by any of these people for getting it so wrong and for embarrassing their publications, their papers, their networks. They have not been punished. They have been heralded. They continue to work in this irresponsible way. They continue to spread lies. They continue to make stories up. They continue to quote anonymous sources who probably don't even exist. So I will close the loop on this story now that I've got your whistle wetted for it. Uh, I promise before the program ends today, as I mentioned, there has been a lot of fallout to the CNN segment on Saturday night where Rick Wilson and Don Lemon and some other guy from New York Times were literally making fun of, mocking and laughing Trump voters as a bunch of hayseed hicks who are incapable
0: yeah, they think they're so smart. They got their geometry, got their
1: math. Uh, so we're the ones. We're the real. We're the smart ones. it's you, elites, you don't know what you talk about. You elites, you, 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 you're the real scum out there. And Don Lemon was laughing so uh, hysterically. He's now. So, oh, I was. I, I was laughing at the joke. I wasn't laughing at the characterization. Don. Admit it, you were laughing at the characterization of Trump voters because that's what that, that's what got you off Don. That's what you loved. Ivanka Trump tweeted the following You constantly make fun of half the country, and then you complain the country's divided. The arrogance, the mocking accents, the smug ridicule of this nation's real elites is disgusting meaning the Rick Wilsons and all of these other, the never-Trumpers and all the other people who engage, they're supposedly the compassionate ones. Isn't it amazing? These are the people who tell us that Trump is unqualified because he's got bad manners. Because he talks in ways that are unacceptable. And these people go out and actually say far more insulting, mocking things than Trump does. It really is stunning. They say that Trump is an offense to basic civility. Trump is an offense to basic manners. And you look at all of these people that hate him. From the intellectual never-Trumpers to the intellectual erudite media and so forth. And they're just... They are the epitome of what they criticize. And it was on full display Saturday night on... CNN, the president issued some blowback on it as well. We'll get to that right after this brief, obscene profit timeout. Do not go away. All right, so I just checked the email during the break. I do this frequently, as you well know. And I'm glad I did. I got an email from somebody who wants to know if the coronavirus in China will be found in beer. Not, no, I'm not making up. I wouldn't have mentioned it. If I, I, I would not make it up. And I, I, I look, you have to. Here's the coronavirus, coronavirus, deadly. What brand names are very popular things. There's some people out there that may think the coronavirus is found in a beer from Mako. Yeah, cure it with a slice of lime or put it in there. I mean, there's also some stuff. Get this. There's some stuff on the internet to keep yourself from getting the coronavirus, drink bleach. <laughs> you see stuff like that then you go back to the impeachment trial, and you wonder what's the point. I just I just want to the coronavirus has nothing to do with beer. It's it it has to do it, it's named it's been the coronavirus has been named as such since I think the late 50s. Uh maybe the 1960s, but as a public service, if you, I can't imagine anybody in this audience thinking that this coronavirus is being spread by bottles of beer, but taking the occasion here as a public service to assure you that that is uh, not the case. Okay, so Ivanka Trump with a, a very clever tweet, you consistently make fun of half the country and then you complain that the country's divided. And I, it, it, the irony here is just too great. These people, these smarmy, holier-than-thou people who sit there and talk about their own super morality and their own sophistication, their own manners. And they sit that Trump is an offense to our country. He is an offense to the presidency. He's an offense to the Washington culture. And yet the very people who engage in those kinds of claims and criticisms themselves descend into the very behavior they mock and criticize. For his part, Trump shredded Don Lemon, called him the dumbest man on TV. Wonder where he heard that. That's been my title for Don Lemon ever since I heard him say that the Missing Malaysian airliner could have been swallowed up by a black hole. Anyway, the president was just savaging CNN and and Don Lemon for putting all this on. Now, Rick Wilson, as I say, I I, I tried. To, I'm confusing him with somebody. I know I'm. There's somebody out there that worked for Danny Hastert that has moved on to some other people. His name's. Rick or John or something these guys are so interchangeable that I get them confused but this guy Rick Wilson it was on CNN Saturday lives in Tallahassee He loves dogs he loves to go hunting out there he hates Trump he is pathological in his hatred for Trump he's got a uh, he's got a group called what is it uh, th- 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 what's the name of his group uh, it's a it's a pack. I thought I had the name of it uh, right here. Lincoln Project. Lincoln Project is what it is. And and on the Lincoln Project website, audio soundbite number six here. This is an ad. That Rick Wilson, this this is what he does when he's not on scene. He's running ads against Republicans. In this one, this is an ad against Martha McSally in Arizona. Martha McSally,
3: Arizona rejected you in 2018. And you know why. You were too close to Donald Trump. And you lost. Badly. Now you've gone full Trump. Again. Man, you're a liberal hack. I'm not talking to you. You knew Arizona wanted the truth. We demanded witnesses and evidence in the trial of Donald Trump. There's a reason your poll numbers are dropping fast. Arizona has always produced mavericks, true independents, people like John McCain and Barry Goldwater, senators that served Arizona. People of courage, toughness. And you, Martha, you'll be remembered as just another Trump act. So that's that's Rick Wilson, and his
1: outfit produces that ad uh, against a Republican. This guy's supposedly a Republican consultant, a Republican strategist. It's how he's labeled on CNN. Well, let's go back. Here is what happened on Saturday night on CNN, Tonight with Don Lemon, and it is, uh, the, remember Pompeo really lashed out at an NPR reporter who lied to him about the subject of an interview and lied to him about the conversation after the interview being off the record. And he told this NPR reporter that he was insulted, didn't let her back on the airplane to cover him, and said, you, you don't even know where Ukraine is on the map, tell me where it is. And she could not identify Ukraine on a map. The NPR reporter thought Ukraine was in Bangladesh. So that news was treated this way on CNN, talking about how stupid Trump couldn't find uh, Ukraine on a map. Anyway, this, this was a blowback to pompeo and the way he dealt with the npr
0: reporter donald trump couldn't find ukraine on a map if you had the letter u and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it this is you know an administration defined by ignorance of the world and so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience uh you know the credulous boomer rube demo that backs donald trump that wants to think that that donald trump's a smart one in there y'all y'all elitist or dumb (laughs) You elitist with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your ma- math and in- your reading. Yeah, you're reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is.
1: Oh yeah, mocking Trump voters as being totally idiot, uh, idiotic and uh, hayseed hick types. Now, the New York Times reporter, as this thing went on, he he finally got a clue. This is not looking good for me. I shouldn't be doing this. But it was too late. And so oh, there's been so much blowback on this that Don Lemon has had to go into CYA mode. And this is what he said last night on his show on
0: CNN. This is personally important to me to address this, okay? Okay. Anyone. Okay. Ask anyone who knows me. Okay. I don't believe in belittling people. B.S. Belittling anyone for who they are. B.S. What they believe or where they're from. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment, I found that joke humorous. And I didn't catch everything that was said. Oh. Just to make this perfectly clear. Yeah. I was laughing at the joke. Oh. And not at any group of people.
1: Oh. So we now have an out. If somebody tells a joke that's racist or bigoted, we can laugh at it. And we can say, yeah, we're not laughing at the people. We were laughing at the joke. And what? The joke is about a group of people. And I'll tell you something else. Don Lemon does belittle people. He calls Trump voters neo-Nazis. He calls them racists. He belittles people left. All of CNN does. It, we, there, there isn't anybody on CNN that does not engage in this kind of behavior. I mean, it's what, it's what CNN has become known for. This is personally important to address this, okay? Anyone, ask anyone who knows. me? Oh, that's the first giveaway. You can't, you can't speak for yourself. Who you are doesn't tell us who you are. We have to go ask people. You know, Mr. Lemon, that's not very far away from, hey, I know some black people. I can't be a racist. You go talk to them. They'll tell you I'm their friend. That goes over like a lead balloon. I'm t- anybody comes out and says to you, you ask anybody who knows me, what they're telling you is that who they are is right in front of your face and you're not wrong. That's a dead giveaway. Ask anybody who knows me. I don't believe in belittling people. Well, if we have to ask people, there must be some question about it, Don. If we have to ask people who you are, and you're on TV every night, and if we have to ask people who you are, why, it may not be perfectly clear, although I think it is. Well, the GOP was not slipping. Uh, They turned this whole thing into an ad with other Democrats trashing Trump voters. And we have the audio for it here. It's audio soundbite number nine. It runs about a minute. Now, it's a TV ad, so some of the video obviously isn't going to be missing here. But you'll get an idea of how the GOP decided to put or the RNC, put this thing all together into an ad, uh, the theme of which... This is what they really think of you. This is who they think you are.
0: Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. You could put of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. And so that's partly him playing to their base. Anyone who supported this president is at best looking the other way on racism at best. You know, the the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump that that wants to think (laughs) that... That that Donald Trump's a smart one, and y'all y'all, y'all elitists are. Them. <laughs> Trump always loves the the low information guy. Are you elitists with your geography and your maps issue of of racism across the country because that that's his base. Your math and you're it. reading. <laughs> yeah, you're reading. You know your geography. No
1: other country. And it fades out. And the graphic on the screen is: They think you're a joke. Prove them wrong. In November. You heard Hillary Clinton in there. You heard, uh, heard Mayor Pete. Uh, he's the one who said anybody who supported this president is at best looking the other way on racism. At best. It was Chris Matthews. Trump always loves the low information guy. And then the New York Times reporter Wajahat Ali and Plugs Biden was in there. Uh, so they put the gad together uh, pretty quickly, and it's effective. A brief timeout. We'll get back to the phones after this, so don't go away. Yeah. By the way, after soundbite number ten, standby twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. Here is Mike in Reading, Pennsylvania. Hello, sir. Great to have you with us.
0: Hey, Russ. Uh, Super mega news from the formerly blue state of Pennsylvania. How are you? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Hey, let me just touch base with this. Uh, these Trump rallies. Uh, back December 10th, I had the privilege of attending the the, the rally in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Incredible rally, energetic, it was awesome. Didn't get to do the Wildwood New Jersey one last night as much as I wanted to, but I watched a lot of it on TV, uh, you know, and on on the iPhone and so forth. The energy that I'm seeing coming out of New Jersey actually has me excited. Uh, I was listening to the the news report this morning said 26%. Of the people that attended that rally last night in Wildwood, New Jersey, were Democrats. Now I don't know if that number is true or not, if that's accurate, but if it is, that's incredible. And and just as Pennsylvania was once blue, and went
3: red.
1: Well, let me give let me give you the numbers out of New Jersey. These numbers, by the way, come from Brad Parscale, uh, is the Trump campaign manager. And at every rally, they go in and thoroughly focus group focus group they. Uh, find out who's there, ask them various questions. And here's here's what Parscale released uh, last night. There were 158,632 requested tickets. 92,841 signups, meaning some people asked for two tickets. 92,000, almost 93,000 people wanted to go to this thing. Well, no, 160,000 wanted to go, 92,000 signed up. Of the people that showed up, 73,482 voters were identified. Meaning 73,000 people there registered to vote. Of that 73,000, 10.4% did not vote in 2016. 26.3% Of the 158,000 requested tickets, a little over one-fourth of the requested tickets were Democrats. So if you you put this, that that is amazing data. 10.4% didn't vote. The fact that they show up at the rally indicates they're energized. They're going to vote. And a quarter of them were Democrats in New Jersey. Now, uh, it's a good thing you didn't make it because you would have probably been part of the 100,000 people lined up outside who didn't get in. Trump addressed. You, you think it maybe he can flip New Jersey and make it red. Here's what Trump said about that last night. You have
0: night. to get out and vote Republican. Get rid of these clowns. And you
1: have to get out and vote for really a brave man. What he did was incredible. Jeff Van Drew. What he did was incredible. Get out and vote going to have a big victory he's going to have a big victory you know they all say republicans can't
0: win tell me why they said should you move this to the meadowlands i said no i want to be in south jersey we want to be with our friends but we could have filled up the meadowlands arena two or three times maybe we'll do it during the summer should we do it during the summer
1: Now, you do it during the summer when you don't have to freeze to death for three days standing outside hoping to get in 158,000 requested tickets. 73,000 voters. Half of them were voters. By the way, the, the others that aren't voters, it's not stated here, but they make a move on them. They identify them. You may think, what do they find the time to do that? Folks, these people are standing there for three days. It is a, um, well, it's a momentous project, nevertheless, but there's, there's ample time to do it. The Trump people flood the zone talking to the people that are inside and outside. So you have 73,418 people there identified as voters, others weren't. They, I'll guarantee you, a voter registration drive of some type was put into motion last night. But the fact that over a quarter of these 158,000 people that wanted in were Democrats, 73,000 voters, in fact, it's a better way, of the people who were voters that showed up, well, over 30% of them were Democrats. Well, that's no big deal, Russia. I mean, New Jersey's a Democrat. <laughs> How many Democrats that hate Trump do you know are going to show up and stand outside Nicole just because he comes to town? So uh, I appreciate the call. I'm up against it on time. We've got the first audio from questions and answers in the uh, in the trial going on. So it's fascinating. We'll get to that in just a minute. So stay with us. All right. The questions and the answers have begun. In the trial, the question phase, and we've got our first audio of the questions being asked by the chief justice, the various house managers, and then the Trump lawyers deliver the answers. We'll get into some of that, and I'll explain what happened here yesterday as I was leading up on the Apple earnings report. So hang on. Be right back. Say, Cookie, I want what this house manager is saying right now in response to Hakeem Nick's. The show started right as Philbin moved in there to answer. To get to hear it, somebody asked the House managers, "Well, why didn't you? Why didn't you call witness? Why didn't? Why didn't you fight the president on executive privilege when you wanted witnesses in the House in the hearings? Why didn't you fight it? Hakeem Jeffries stood up there." The president didn't assert executive privilege. He simply said he can do whatever he wants. He's the president, and he issued a blanket denial of everything. And I just want to make sure that I heard what I heard. I'm going to need Philbin's answer to this. To make sure that I heard what I heard. Greetings and welcome back. It's Rush Limbaugh the EIB Network. Great to have you with us. As always, telephone number if you want to be on the program. 800-282-2882. Okay, we have some of the q and yeah. I have to share. I, I've, I've had only a chance to watch this in a three-minute three minute spurts. Uh, when we here are in the EIB... Obscene profit breaks. Hang on just a second, Fox has got a oh okay new beta update. Just informed is ready to install. We'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, I was I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I guess, and maybe it's just because I'm older. I've been to the U.S. and my parents took me to the U.S. Senate. My brother when we were fifteen, and. I'll never forget Barry Goldwater was on the floor. He was. They were debating the farm bill, and this was during the days of uh, Everett Dirksen, Barry Goldwater, and I remembered there was somebody sitting in the same row we were chewing gum, and one of the House pages came down and made the person stop and spit it out. Another person was reading a book and turning the pages. House page came, took the book away, can't make any noise, can't provide any kind of distraction whatsoever. And I just remember, now, I, granted, I'm 15, uh, and and but even after that, even as I grew older and, and the Senate began to be televised and I would watch it, I, I just, I had the impression that it was uh, serious and formal that it wasn't sophomoric. I'm watching this. And the way this question and answer thing is formatted, the senators write their questions on a card. And then the senators submit the card to the chief justice. And the chief justice then reads the question. And I feel like I'm watching something happening here in the seventh grade. So the chief justice reads the question. Puts his glasses down and says, we will hear first from the House managers. And the House managers decide who among them is going to answer it. And they stumble around. They assign whoever to go up there, start answering the question and so forth. And the Chief Justice just seems to be treating these people like they're they're morons. Like they can't follow basic destruction. We will hear first from the House manager. I don't know. I don't, I, again, it's a, it's a, it's a quick observation made over not very much time. I haven't had a chance to really listen to this in context. But here is, we'll start with somebody 21, 22, 20. This is Susan Collins, who, um, you know, you, you, the senators don't read the questions. They send the questions to the chief justice, and this is, this is how it sounds.
3: I send a question to the desk on behalf of myself,
2: Senator Murkowski, and Senator Romney. This is a question for the Council for the President. If President Trump had more than one motive for his alleged conduct, such as the pursuit of personal political advantage, rooting out corruption and the promotion of national interests, how should the Senate consider more than one motive in its assessment of Article 1?
1: Okay. so I guess I guess that sounds okay it just sounds. It sounds like everybody thinks that they're not too bright in there, and I got to go very slow, make sure we don't confuse anybody. But here's the question. Susan, I send a question to the desk on behalf of myself, and I am myself, and Senator Murkowski, and Senator Romney. Okay. Answer the chief reads a question. It's a question for the counsel for the president. I mean, you guys, you lawyers over there, For the, this is for you. If President Trump had more than one motive for his alleged conduct, like suggesting that the Marizma, of the Bidens will be investigated, if, if the alleged conduct here was the pursuit of personal political advantage, like trying to get dirt on plugs, uh, rooting out corruption in Ukraine... And the promotion of U.S. national interest. If there's three motives here, how should we senators consider more than one motive in its assessment of impeachment, article uh, number one? So here is Patrick Philbin. And the answer, well, you tell me. Here's, here's the answer.
2: If there were a motive that was a public interest but also some personal interest, we think it follows even more clearly... That that cannot possibly be the basis for an impeachable offense. And they've even said they came up and they talked a lot about the Bidens. They talked a lot about these issues in 2016 election interference, because they were saying there's not even a scintilla, a scintilla of any evidence of anything worth looking into there. And that's the standard that they would have to meet, showing that there's no possible public interest, and the president couldn't have had any smidgen even of a public interest motive. It would be absurd to have the Senate trying to consider, well, was it 48% legitimate interest and 52% personal interest? Or was it the other way? Was it 53% and 46 You can't divide it that way.
1: He goes on to explain how you can't impeach presidents for considering politics. Once in you're fields. into
2: mixed motive land, it's clear that their case fails. There can't possibly be an impeachable offense at all. And think about it. All elected officials, to some extent, have in mind how their conduct, how their decisions, their policy decisions will affect the next election. There's always some personal interest in the electoral outcome of policy decisions. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of representative democracy. Once it is established that there is A legitimate public interest that could justify looking into something, just asking a question about something. The manager's case fails and it fails under their own terms.
1: Now, that is perfectly clear to me that you can't take politics out of this and that everybody in politics calculates how whatever their political actions are, how that's going to impact their reelection or their campaign or their polling data or their fundraising or whatever the hell's. Their job approval numbers. You can't separate the two. The House managers would like you to believe that there is some unique area. Where everything is perfect and nobody does anything for any personal gain whatsoever. And Trump violated it. Everything Trump does is for personal gain. And that's putting himself ahead of the office. And so these guys have nuked that. I mean, after I hear this answer, I said, that's, that's the case. I mean, it should end the case. Shut it down. Go back, grab somebody number five again. I think you know, this, is, this is one of these things. I, I led the program off with this today. Here is Don Ang Dick, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, yesterday on Capitol Hill after the president's lawyers had presented their case, after the House managers had presented theirs. So both cases are in. That phase of this trial is over. Here's how Don Ang Dick characterized it. What you just saw was a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. We need the evidence. We need the witnesses and documents. How stupid is it? How ignorant? How unaware is this guy? He just admits... That what everybody just saw was a fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. For those of you in Rio Linda, it means they didn't have any. A fact-free summation of a case bereft of evidence. He is admitting that the House managers have no case. They have no evidence and they didn't present any And he's so cockeyed that he thinks that is a legitimate reason to call witnesses. That that's a legitimate reason for the Senate to start doing its own investigation because the House didn't have a case. It's like you being on trial for murder. The prosecution didn't have any evidence. They can't convict you. So they ask one of the jurors. Hey, would you mind doing further investigation for us? We don't have any evidence. My closing argument, you're not going to be able to convict the guy. You got to go out and find more evidence for me. It wouldn't happen. But Don Ang Dick, he thinks he's being brilliant here. He thinks he's making the case for witnesses. He thinks he's making the case for documents. Yeah, because the House didn't have any witnesses. and didn't have any facts. and didn't have any case. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it means shut it down. Shut it down, it means it is over. Professor Dershowitz is now suggesting that uh, some of what the House manager has been doing is psychoanalyzing the president. And it's true, they've been trying to get at his motives, what he wanted to do, not what he did. Because what he did is not impeachable. Again, all of this is This is the Democrats attempting to keep you from meddling in the 2020 election. They're trying to prevent you from voting in the 2020 election. Let me grab a quick call. Uh, Blaine, Washington, Edward, great to have you, sir, on the EIB Network. Hello.
2: Yes, uh, good afternoon, Rush. I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. But if there is no
1: criminal evidence, is there an option of a dismissal? Uh, well, here, here again, let, 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 let me be very, uh, this has been stated again. There doesn't need to be any criminal evidence. Impeachment can be whatever the House says it is. And that pretty much is true. High, cr- high crimes misdemeanors uh, is a pretty broad thing. Impeachment is a political act. And the House can impeach the president any time they want, for any reason they want. They have to get the votes to do it, but they can impeach him for anything. It does not need to be a statutory crime committed. There hasn't been a statutory crime committed here. There hasn't been an impeachable offense found, and yet where are we? They can call it whatever they want. They can claim anything they want. is That's what's wrong with this among many things wrong, they have watered down this entire constitutional procedure to now be meaningless. They have converted impeachment into simply another weapon in a partisan arsenal designed to get rid of a political opponent you don't like. That's what they've turned impeachment into. That's what this has become. And Once the bar has been lowered, as they have lowered it, it makes it easier to do it again and again. The idea of payback uh, being a central part of politics, this will happen again. I'm I'm not going to predict which party will do it or when or over what, but it'll happen again. The Democrats said they were going to impeach Trump two weeks before he was inaugurated. They said they were going to impeach him two weeks after he was inaugurated. The Mueller report, the Mueller investigation, Trump-Russia, all of this is part of this culmination here. If they could have gotten rid of Trump with the Mueller report, they would have. If they could have gotten rid of Trump at the Kavanaugh hearings, they would have. If they could have gotten rid of Trump at any time prior to this, they would have. But since every effort has failed, here we are at impeachment. And this is a total setup. Can you believe that a phone call... That 20 people were on, that 20 people heard, for which a transcript has been released is why we're here? Let let that sink in for a moment. Just stop and think. A phone call 20 people heard, the whistleblower who reported it did not hear it. In fact, the whistleblower got a secondhand version of it from Lieutenant Colonel Venman. The whistleblower is a CIA operative from the John Brennan camp. He's from the Obama administration. He's a holdover. And it has been uncovered that he and others in the National Security Council have been plotting to get rid of Trump, beginning two weeks after Trump was inaugurated. The whistleblower's first characterizations of the phone call shocking, terrifying, frightening. So bad, I couldn't wait. I had to report it. Then the transcript is released. There's nothing shocking. There's certainly nothing terrifying. There's nothing earth-shattering. The whistleblower, the guy that got all this started, is the only person that hadn't been heard from. Because to hear from the whistleblower would expose Adam Schiff's role in this entire fiasco. But a phone call 20 people heard... 20 people on the call. By the way, standard operating procedure. Presidents don't make phone calls with no witnesses. I official United States policy phone calls. One leader to another. There's always a bunch of people on the phone. Trump is being impeached in part here because Lieutenant Colonel Vindman prepared, prepared talking points. And Trump didn't use any of them. And Schiff is saying, see, this means he's out for his own personal gain. He didn't use the talking points that his professional uh, ambassadorial staff and national security staff prepared, which means he's in it for himself. It's impeachable that Trump did not use the talk. What else did Schiff say? There's some, some other crazy... Uh, 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 Chris Coons... This is the Democrat senator from Delaware that, that, that uh, corrupted Jeff Flake during the Kavanaugh hearings. Chris Kuhn said hypothetically Trump could be impeached for his tweets. His hateful tweets, his racist tweets. We could impeach Trump for that. Hypothetically. Said this to Chuck Todd, NBC, who was salivating at the very idea. Greetings, my good friends. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh would have my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair. There's some Gallup poll uh, data out there today. Race relations and the position of minorities better under Trump than under Obama. Now, when I first saw this, uh, I got an email. It, was, it, it came from uh, one of the White House uh, uh, polling unit people. So I wondered if it was White House internal polling. It turns out it's not. Uh, New details from a Gallup survey on satisfaction said that race relations and the position of minorities under Trump are far higher than they were under Barack Obama. But it's not just race relations. Race relations scored the highest satisfaction advance, 14 points, from 22% at the end of the Obama administration, 36% this year. The position of blacks and other racial minorities in the nation jumped nine points from 37 percent January 17th to 46 percent now. Now, isn't that interesting? The position of blacks, the satisfaction of African-Americans in America has has climbed dramatically since Trump assumed office after Obama left office. Now, I can explain this. I have explained this countless. The race relations were exacerbated with Obama in the White House, it could not have been any other way. There was simply no way race. This is this is why I was so, when people said they're going to vote for Obama simply to get rid of racism in America to show it away, I said, you wait, it's going to be worse than it's, you're not thinking about this. Because no criticism of the president was going to be permitted, even warranted policy crit- not permitted because it was going to be called racist. So, Race relations got far more friction with Obama in the White House, and we're back. Great to have you with us as always, Rush Limbaugh, your guiding light, meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day as America's real anchorman, America's truth detector, and the doctor of democracy. All right, let me close the loop on this Apple stuff, and let me start again very, very briefly now. I follow Apple, love their products, as you well know, uh, and I follow them on tech blogs, following this stuff, staying staying current on uh, on consumer tech, well, all kinds of tech it's a hobby of mine, and it's it's something I'm just vastly interested in. i 've noted uh, in studying tech media, reporting on Apple. That Apple is hated and despised by a large section of tech media. And by the way, business and financial media as well, although it's not as bad, not as pronounced there. But I am not exaggerating when I say that to some tech media, Apple is as despised as Trump is by the drive-by media. And accordingly, Apple is as lied about, is as misrepresented, um, and is as criticized as Trump is. Now, the way this has manifested itself over the years, there have been investment houses. One of them is Rosenblatt Securities. And they've had an analyst there who for the past number of years has been telling investors, get out of Apple. They're done. It's over with. Everybody hates their stuff. They can't sell iPhones anymore and that's their number one business. And it's just been pounding this stuff despite evidence to the contrary. Apple just had a record fourth calendar quarter 91 billion dollars in revenue 22 billion dollars in profit and leading the way was the iPhone i can't tell you how many tech media people have been burying the iPhone for 5 years it's boring it's dull the american people don't like it the chinese consumers don't like it they're fed up with the notch in the iphone 10 form it just it's never ending Media people writing of Apple products as though they represent national public opinion. The same way it happens in the drive-by media against Trump. Well, here's the difference. The most bearish, for those of you in real, the most critical, the most down-on, the most down-on-Apple Analyst on the street is parting ways with Rosenblatt Securities. Rosenblatt Securities has gotten rid of this Apple analyst. Finally, his name is Yun Zhang. He's no longer with the firm. He has been predicting the bottom to fall out of Apple for years. He has cost people money. People who listened to him, sold their Apple stock, did not buy Apple stock. It reflected badly on Rosenblatt. Rosenblatt has said, well, you know what? We're not going to replace the guy. We're not even talk about Apple anymore. Their reputation in association with Apple as a performing company has been shot. All the way back three years ago, four years ago, April 2016, this guy said that if the iPhone 7 did not have a panel upgrade, there would be no other feature upgrade possible to drive demand. In May of 2017, he predicted that what became the iPhone X was suffering from fingerprint ID problems, a feature that wasn't even on the iPhone X, that it wouldn't ship on time, it was going to be delayed, it wouldn't ship till the first quarter of 2018. In 2017 and 2018, this guy ignored another segment of Apple that's growing the services business he didn't see it he ripped it in other words there are there are business bloggers business reporters with a personal bias anti-Apple so bad that they are costing their firms money well they're being gotten rid of that's that's the difference in what's happening here because these guys are actually costing investors and their firms money and there's a bunch of them. There is a for for example. Here's a headline: The thing Apple fans hate most about the iPhone. Dawn, let me ask you: You have an iPhone, and you a, what, what is the thing about it that you hate the most? Answer: Nothing. What do you hate about your phone? Okay, but you don't. You didn't. You don't get rid of it for that. Okay. You know what the thing Apple, you know, this guy thinks you hate most about the, the notch, the notch at the top of the screen. That's the thing people hate the mo- Oh, and the second thing they hate most about the iPhone is it looks the same year after year after year that Apple is not innovating in design. So they write these stories. Apple fans hate the iPhone. Apple fans bored with the iPhone. Apple fans, yet the iPhone is selling in record numbers. Wall Street Journal is another one. They've got people, and Forbes, they've got people writing things, presupposing public opinion about Apple products that are their own personal opinions, made to look like the opinions of a majority of customers. The number of these people, it's over for Apple. Apple's seen its best days. There's nothing new at Apple in the last five years. Really? Apple Watch, AirPods, AirPods Pro services. Look, this is not to defend Apple. Don't misunderstand the point. This is media. And in this media, they're costing people money. And some of these investment houses and and, uh, financial institutions are finally firing these analysts who have been predicting doom and advising people to get out of Apple For years. Now, what if that happened? How is that any different than what's happening at the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, ABC, NBC, whatever? For four years, we have been listening to one lie after another about Donald Trump. I guess it's because it's not costing anybody any money. I don't know how it's not costing CNN money. I mean, their viewership is plummeting. I don't know. There's got to be some relationship between advertising agencies and buyers to prop them up because there's no reason to buy a commercial on CNN anymore. There aren't enough people watching it. My only point here is that where there is accountability for media people being blatantly wrong, lying through their teeth, expressing an anti-whatever-it-is bias. It's, it's stunning to me how long some of these investment houses stuck with these people, who for the last four or five years have been predicting it's over for Apple, doom and gloom, ignoring every Apple success, putting in their own words what Apple's customers think. Do you know what the Apple install base is? It's one and a half billion devices. That are currently running and logged into the Apple ecosystem, and there's stories of how people hate their iPhone, people hate their iPad, people hate their AirPods, people hate Apple as they just keep growing and setting sales records. How does this happen? So the personal animus and the personal bias is all over the. And, and the correlation between this media. And the standard drive-by media and the way Trump and not just Trump, all of us conservatives are treated—it's identical. Anyway, I—I uh, uh, I had to just the thing Apple fans hate most about the iPhone isn't a problem. Well, then, well, yeah, you know, they hate that the iPhone looks the same every year. They hate the notch. Really? There isn't another cell phone close to it. There isn't another se- You know, Apple is soaking up almost 88% of all profit in the premium smartphone sector. 88% of all profit. And yet we get headlines, a thing Apple fans hate most. Now, the thing Trump supporters hate most about Trump is his tweeting, his whatever. It's all bogus. But when these clowns start costing their firms money, they are packed away, fired away, sent away. But no such accountability has yet been on display in the drive-by media. Don't you think it's about time for some there, too? Okay, Jim in Youngstown, Ohio, it's great that you waited, sir. Hello. Hi, Rush. Uh, To the point. uh, Many are uh, saying, including yourself, that impeachment will be cheapened and will become a political weapon. I believe partisan impeachment can be stopped in its tracks by having a huge Republican win in the House in November. This would scare the crap out of any
2: future majority uh, House who would try to impeach a president for partisan reasons.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I, I, I I can see your point. The message that a landslide defeat would send you think would result in them never doing it again. The thing is, uh, let me ask you about something. And I, look, I understand the point, and with rational, pe- rational people, it would make sense. We're not dealing with rational people in the Democrats. What happened to them in 2016? They lost. They lost big in the Electoral College. They lost big. They got shellacked. They thought they were going to win in a landslide. Have they learned a single lesson from it? No. Not one. At least they haven't learned a lesson that would make them more appealable to voters. What are they doing? They are insulting voters. They're insulting the people that didn't vote for them. They're trying to deny those people the right to vote for president again. That's what this is. When they lose elections, they do not draw lessons from it. They get mad and they get even. When they lose elections, they don't want to find out why they lost favor with voters. They set out to punish those voters and the people who beat them. And that's what they're... They don't care. Even now, they don't... They're not the slight, slightest bit interested in why they lost. So that they can take steps to correct it and win next time. That's not who, not this bunch. This bunch is an authoritarian... Bunch of would-be mini-dictators when it comes to control over things and people. It used to be, if they lost an election, if you oh, we came up short with values, voters, we've got to fix that. That's not, if they lose in a landslide in 2020, they're just going to even more intensely try. ...to reverse those election results and to claim that they're illegitimate. They're going to go after Trump even more. No matter how large the margin of defeat is. Because they're always going to have the media to do their dirty work for them. I wish it were the way that you say. I wish that there were lessons learned uh, in both political victory and defeat... But that's the thing, sir. We are here today and we've been here every day since 2016 precisely because these people refuse to accept election results. So they lose in a landslide, lose the House. They do not gain the Senate. Trump is reelected. They've lost all three branches. They can't stop Trump's. Supreme Court nominees, they can't stop Trump's legislation. Oh, my God. what are they? And you think that they're going to shape up and fly right, and realize the mistakes they've made and not make them again? That's not who they are. The AOC wing, if what you suggest happens, the AOC where the first thing going to do is fire Pelosi, get her out of town, not just the speakership. AOC is going to take over the House and it's going to be, the biggest march to the extreme Uber left that you've ever seen. Yeah, get ready for that because that's probably on the in the cards. By the way, the president signed this morning the the new USMCA, uh, United States uh, Mexico Canada Trade Agreement, getting rid of NAFTA. This is a big deal, as he said. I mean, this one of the primary reasons that he ran. And uh, he and Bob Lighthizer and uh, Pence came came into great praise for getting this done. It is a huge deal, and it's just more illustration. The president's getting up every day and doing his job in the midst of all of this. So have a great rest of the day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.